your words that have been handed down to us from centuries ago would be fresh and new and speak into our life today. Lord, I pray that you would anoint Pastor Mark as he preaches, that you would pour out your spirit upon him, that he would speak as if it were you in this room speaking to us. Lord, I pray you would give us open hearts, hearts that are willing to obey, hearts that are willing to receive and surrender. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? It's been a little bit since I held the microphone, so I'll make sure you guys can hear me. Sometimes I talk with my hands, just bear with me when I do that, okay? <laughs> so I am I am I am really excited about this sermon series we have been doing. I, I've I've enjoyed all of them we have done. If you remember the Fruit of the Spirit series we did, we got kind of tired of that one because we kind of kept that was right in the middle of when we were kind of interrupting church and we couldn't decide if we were going to do two services or one service or church from home and, and it just kind of, we just kind of kept stretching it out and stretching it out. By the time we got done with that one, we were pretty grateful to be done with it. But this one, I really love because this has been a, a year that I have really dug back into the New Testament in my personal reading, looking at how we're supposed to be doing church. And that was just kind of laid on my heart about a year ago when, when everything went crazy and we started doing church from home. And I said, well, how are we supposed to be doing church? And I really started studying through the New Testament and, and all of that. And we get to these one another statements. And this series on one another has just touched me so deeply as we look into Scripture and we see what did Jesus say about how we're supposed to treat one another? What did Paul write about it? What did the other authors of the New Testament, what did they say about how we are supposed to be treating one another? Because if we treat one another the way they taught us to treat one another, then I think that's just kind of one of the basic ingredients of Christianity right there. Then it doesn't matter how we do church. We'll be doing it right if we're treating each other the way we're supposed to be. So this morning, we are going to be in Romans 12, actually... Our memory verse for this month is, is where we are going. Um, verse 10 is kind of where we are going to land, but I am going to back up a little bit into verse 9 so we have a little bit of a running start at where we're going. Verses 9 and 10 out of Romans 12, I've got them up here out of the ERV, the easy to read version, and that starts in verse 9. It says, your love must be real. Hate what is evil, do only what is good. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close, like brothers and sisters, and give each other more honor than you give yourself. And I think these are important words, not just for a marriage. And we didn't plan this sermon to have anything to do with a wedding. This was planned so long ago that it just kind of worked out that way. I would say it's a coincidence, except I believe in God. And I know that God lined it up to work out that way. So that's, that's what we've got. Now Paul is writing these words. And this, the letter of Romans is a great instruction manual of how we're supposed to do church. Acts was the story of the early church. And it shows us what that looks like. Romans tells us how to do it. Romans is kind of the behind the scenes commentary of how it got made. How it got there. 
So I am, I am really excited as, as we do this. In verse 9, it says, your love must be real. What is love? What is this love that Paul is, is writing about here? He wants it to be real. We need to know what it is that he wants real. And love, quite simply, Webster says it's an intense feeling of deep affection. Or it means to like and enjoy something very much. And I think most of us in the room, we can identify with one of those. We love people. We love things. So we know what it's like to be in love with somebody or to love somebody. But we also know what it's like to really enjoy something. How does Paul define love? In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and he, he spends some time talking about love. And you have heard these verses over and over again in your life, I'm sure. It says, if I, I may speak in different languages, whether human or even of angels, but if I don't have love, I am only a noisy bell or a ringing cymbal. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, if I am not filled with love, all the words out of my mouth are just noise. I'm just making noise no matter what I'm talking about. It's just noise. And it's not just noise, it's an irritating noise. That's what a clanging cymbal is supposed to be. So he's letting us know that without love, love is essential if you want to make noise that people want to hear. If you want to irritate people, don't have love in your life and anything you talk about is going to be irritating. Love is essential if you want to be understood in verse 2 of the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. says, I may have the gift of prophecy, I may understand all secrets and know everything there is to know, and I may have faith so great that I can move mountains. But even with all this, if I don't have love, I am nothing. He's letting us know that love is essential if you want the things you know to mean anything. You know, we covet knowledge in our culture. We, we love those people who know how to do things. Anybody in this room ever have to hand your cell phone to somebody younger than you so they can make it do what you want it to do? Anybody in here, one of those young people, and you have that knowledge, and it's good that you are here with that knowledge? How about you remember when somebody was teaching you how to drive? All those things you learned for the, for the men in the room, remember what a big deal it was? Maybe when your father taught you how to shave. We remember those things. We kind of covet knowledge, learning things. When we're little kids, there's all these things we want to learn that we can't wait to learn. Paul is saying, love is essential if you want the things you know to mean anything. Because that example I used about fathers teaching their sons to shave, I'm a student pastor. And I promise you, there are a lot of kids that their fathers haven't taught them that because their fathers aren't in the picture. They're not in their life. There are a lot who their, their dads have told them an awful lot of stuff, but their dads didn't tell them any of that with any love. So it didn't make any sense to them. They didn't get it. Love is essential if you want the things you know to mean anything. Verse 3, Paul says, I may give away everything I have to help others, and I may even give my body as an offering to be burned. But I gain nothing by doing all this if I don't have love. Love is essential if you want the things you do to matter to anybody. If you want the stuff you do to make any difference in anybody's life, no matter what it is, you have to have love. You cannot help people without love and have it really count as help. Because it's not really help. That's what Paul is saying. 
as Christians, we must love if we really want to help. And if you are a believer in Christ, you ought to want to help the world around you. Because you probably noticed that the world around you needs a lot of help. And I'm just talking about looking around this room. I'm not even talking about out there what they need. We all need a lot of help. And we better have love as an ingredient to do that. In verse 4, then, Paul starts the words that we all know because we've all heard these verses. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not proud. Love is not rude. It is not selfish. And it cannot be made angry easily. Love does not remember wrongs done against it. Love is never happy when others do wrong, but it is always happy with the truth. Love never gives up on people. It never stops trusting, never loses hope, and never quits. Love is all the best parts of a relationship. That's what he is saying. Love is always happy with the truth. That's the only one of those that I want to circle back on. Because love is always happy with the truth. And sometimes, the truth is not fun to hear. Has anybody ever been truthful with you and they told you something that you didn't want to hear? And it wasn't a whole lot of fun? But love is always happy to hear the truth even when the truth isn't fun to hear. I mean, that must make love pretty powerful, right? Because how many of us, let's be honest, when somebody told you something you didn't want to hear, how many of us were happy to hear it? How many of us were excited to hear it? How many of us hugged the person who gave us that really, really rough constructive criticism? And that's pretty tough, isn't it? But love makes us happy to hear that. It means love is always happy about the truth. Now, this kind of happiness might not be when you respond with that hug. It might not mean you high-five the person who just gave you some sort of rough, constructive criticism or told you that, that you were kind of being a mess. You might not respond that way, but you might understand in your heart if it was done with love and said with love, you might understand in your heart that they love you and that's a form of love. I remember vividly, I told, I told Brother Sam this story not that long ago. I remember vividly when I was a really small child, we lived on a really busy street, right at the corner of the street. And we had this really small front yard right where the street made this corner. And every now and then traffic would, wouldn't make the turn and it would kind of jump over the sidewalk and somebody would pull into part of our front yard. Well, my parents were pretty passionate about me not playing in the front yard. I vividly remember one day, both my parents were busy talking to the neighbor and they weren't watching what I was doing. And I thought, well, here's my chance. And I took my trucks and I went into the front yard. We had this really great sidewalk in the front yard. It was just perfect for playing trucks on. So I took my trucks and I went running up there into the front yard. And before I knew it, my dad was right there. Now, I did not enjoy my dad's reaction to catching me in the front yard. But I look back now and I know that was all about love. He did not want me to get killed by a car. At the time, I wasn't excited for the spanking. But now I look back because that his reaction to catching me in the front yard kept me out of the front yard for the whole rest of the time we lived there. I'd have a hard time walking in that front yard now. I'd be looking over my shoulder to see if my dad was anywhere around. We are glad when somebody treats us with love, 
even when they're treating us with love in a way that we're not excited about. Do we understand that? So that means your love must be real. And that means in love, we are sometimes not going to tell people what they want to hear, but we're going to tell them the truth. And it must be real. It must be authentic. And authentic is, is authentic means that you are not playing a game with love. I'm not going to talk, talk a lot about our culture out there right now, but our culture plays games with love. I deal with young people all the time whose hearts are so broken because somebody has played games pretending to love them. I deal with people all the time who are just hurting because they're not sure if their family loves them or not. Because people are playing games with what's really important instead of treating it as if it's important. Love is not fake. Love is real. Or it's supposed to be real, according to Paul. It's not something you use to get somebody to do what you want them to do. It's not something you fake in order to get something you want. Your love must be real. Your love must be all the best things about a relationship. It must be willing to have tough conversations once in a while. Paul is not saying that we need to walk down the sidewalk correcting everybody we see. But it needs to be when we really love somebody, we would have those hard conversations. And we have to be real while we're doing it. We have to be authentic. You must love what is real. Then he says, hate what is evil. Well, we all understand the word hate. If we understand love, we understand hate. That means we reject, we flee, we avoid evil things. One reason we are supposed to avoid evil is because God cannot be in the presence of evil. That's why he sent his son as a human to walk amongst us because God can't just take a field trip out of heaven and walk with us because we all sin and we've all got sin in our life and God can't be near us. If you're familiar with the story in the garden of, of Adam and Eve, God walked in the garden with them until they took the fruit off the tree and then they hid from God because God cannot be in the presence of evil. It's one reason he sent his son as a sacrifice. Because he's not able to be near evil and sin is evil and we all sin. That means none of us are ever going to be able to get anywhere close to God. Except he sent his son and his son spilled his blood for us and his blood covers up our sin and now we are clean enough to get near God. Our sin is gone. But we need to hate what is evil. It doesn't say we need to recognize what's evil. It doesn't just say to avoid what's evil. It says we need to hate what is evil. We need to treat it as if it's an allergy that will kill us. Eric is back in the nursery, but Eric is allergic to mushrooms. He doesn't just dislike mushrooms. He dislikes mushrooms because if I feed him mushrooms on a pizza when we're gathered together doing a youth event, the, the pizza will kill him because he's, he gets sick. From the mushrooms. So Allison's okay with that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's I don't think it's that extreme yet. She has some allergies. She is she is much less concerned about it than Eric is. But I, and I'm always I'm more careful about it maybe than Allison would want me to be. I just want y'all to know that. But Eric makes a big now he knows mushrooms aren't evil, but he makes it a point to avoid that before he even opens the top of the pizza box. Are there mushrooms in this? Did you get any without mushrooms?
because he wants to make sure he's not going to eat something that's going to hurt him. That's, we're supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to avoid it. Hey, is there any evil in this? I can't go anywhere near that. That's bad for me. That's how we are supposed to treat evil. Do only what is good. Your love must be real. Hate what is evil. Do only what is good. So we hate evil and we flee from evil. Our love is authentic and our love is real. And we do only what is good. What does only mean? It's exclusive, right? Paul is not saying do mostly what is good. Do partially what is good. He's not even saying do your best and just try to do good. He says do only what is good. Everything you do is supposed to be good. Anybody in here struggle with that? Because I sure do. But we're supposed to do only what is good. He is saying that as we treat one another, we are supposed to be only doing what is good. Anybody in here ever have a problem in a relationship with somebody? Anybody in here ever be just me? Am I the only one? Uh, I'm just kidding. There's a lot of people not. Have you ever experienced that kind of that kind of friction with a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a neighbor, a boss, a coworker? I mean, the list goes on. If you're a parent, if you have kids, if you have a parent with your parent, that's because we don't exclusively only do what is good. If we only did what was good, we wouldn't have any conflict. We have conflict because all of us struggle with this, and we all make mistakes, and we all create this conflict, and we all contribute to it. Now, the other people are contributing to it, too. It's not just you, it's all of us together. But that's why Paul says, do only what is good. If you want to honor God, if you want to honor each other, you're going to do only what's good. And we don't do only what's good, and we're not honoring each other, and that's what creates so many of our problems. So many young people I talk to, their hearts are broken because they don't feel loved. People who feel loved can conquer so many of the problems the world throws at them. But you show me somebody who feels unloved, and they are going to have piles of problems in their life. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction, struggles with gambling and pornography, and how they spend money, and holding down a job, and getting along with their boss, and getting along with their coworker, raising their kids, getting along with their parents, getting along with their neighbors. Getting along with total strangers. You ever see road rage happen? When people don't feel loved, they have a hard time getting along with people. And Paul is saying, we're supposed to love each other. And we're supposed to love each other totally in all the way, doing only what is good. And that would eliminate all of those problems. And I know this seems so tough to do, but if we want to do it the way God wants us to do it, this is the way we're supposed to be trying to do it. This is the way we're supposed to be doing it, not just trying. Your love must be real. Hate what is evil. Do only what is good. And the reason we do only what is good, because when we don't do what's good, we're doing what's bad. bad. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> All right. We're doing what's bad. We're doing sin. We're, we're, we're grappling with that evil. And the way sin gets into our life... Uh, just this past week, our neighbor across the street, they took down a tree. They had a company come in and remove a tree. The, the house has been there for 40 years. The tree was there 
when they built the house, but the tree has grown in the four years. It was a big tree then. It's a, it was a huge tree now, and it kind of loomed right in the middle between two houses. And if the tree had come over, it would have covered either house it landed on. It would have just destroyed. There would be nothing they owned that wasn't dented or broken. So they had a company come out, they removed the tree, and the way that the, these guys started to take the tree down, they didn't just go to the base of the tree and attack it with a chainsaw and hope it didn't fall on one of the houses. They went way up top and they started, they started first they started cutting off, it was almost just like leaves they took off so that they could see what, what they were looking at. And then they started cutting all these small branches off. I mean, they were cutting branches off so small that as they're falling, the guys underneath are walking around picking them up, and they're so small that they're not worried about them falling on them because it's just like twigs. But then the guy communicates, okay, he's moving on from the twigs, and he's cutting off larger branches. And they're still falling, but now they wouldn't want to get hit by them. And then he starts cutting off bigger branches, and he's keeping them in the bucket with him, and then every now and then takes the bucket down and unloads. And then they're cutting down bigger pieces and bigger pieces. And then I'm sure if you've ever seen this happen, they're, they're, they're wrapping ropes around the, the pieces they cut so they can lower them gently down to the ground because they wouldn't want to just drop it because they wouldn't have any control of it over it then until they're all the way down to just the trunk. And then they cut pieces of it down until it's a piece that's just like yay high off the ground. And then they can just cut it down and whichever way it falls, it doesn't matter because it's not tall anymore. It's how sin gets into our life. It messes up some of the little stuff that we don't even notice. Then it starts taking out bigger pieces of our life. Bigger pieces that can fall away and it's not really even hurting anybody. And then the pieces start getting bigger. Look out below. You don't want to be standing under this when it falls apart because I've got some sin and it's, it's cutting pieces away. And then it's cutting pieces away that almost have to be surgically removed because they're so big and they're so vital Then, as we walk around without them, we walk around changed and in pain and different. And then we get to the part where they tear the, they take out the, the bottom of the stump and they pull up all the roots and sin gets into your life and it works long enough. It's taking good stuff out of your life and it's tearing it out by the roots and it's too late. Our neighbor can't call that tree company tomorrow morning and say, you know, I changed my mind. Y'all bring that back. Let's, let's put that back in and let's glue that tree back together and put it up. I mean, all the glue in the world isn't going to hold that thing together. They can't put that back. They can plant a new tree, but it's not going to get that big overnight. And when sin gets in your life and when sin destroys, what it destroys is gone forever. You can rebuild. We're going to see a beautiful example of that in just a few minutes. You can rebuild and God can help you restore. And, you know, I'm just cutting ahead a little bit, but I think both of them, James and Jenny, would tell you that if it wasn't for God helping them restore, they wouldn't be planting another tree, would they? Because yeah. what is destroyed by sin doesn't come back on its own. And you can't put it back no matter how hard you try. Flee from sin. Do only what is good because when you don't do good, it starts hurting you. And it starts hurting you in a way that you can't fix. Your love must be real. Hate what is evil. Do only what is good. 
Love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters and give each other more honor than you give than you give yourself. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters. Make choices that create family. Remember a few minutes ago I talked about having those hard conversations? Well, that happens in family, doesn't it? At least it should. Not just the hard conversations. That happens a lot more often than it should in some families. But the hard conversations with love. I love you and I want you to be better. I want you to do better than this. I want you to get better than this. I want you to grow. Those are family conversations. Make choices that create family. Love each other so much that you want each other to thrive. And isn't that hard? Anybody in here just a little bit competitive by nature? Anybody in here not competitive by nature? Okay, it's good. We're all we're all regular human beings. Aren't we kind of competitive? Don't we love to compete with each other? Don't we get a kind of a thrill out of being better at something than somebody else? Especially those of us that aren't good at a lot of stuff. When it does happen, we get really excited. Maybe I'm just talking too much about myself right there. But we want others around us to thrive if we love them. If we don't love, then we always want to be the one on top. We always want to be the one getting ahead. We always want to be the one thriving. And that's hard to make that choice. To say, I'm going to take the backseat and let you make all the decisions. Give each other more honor than you give yourself. Giving involves a gift. So give more than you're getting. And a perfect example of this is Jesus. We saw in this children's video. And we all know that story before the video played, I'm sure, when Jesus turned water into wine. And he didn't just turn water into wine. He turned it into the very best wine. Remember the story about the loaves and the fishes? And they were out there and they didn't have just a, a little bit of food, like enough food for one or two people. And there were a couple of thousand. And Jesus took that, that little bit of food for one or two people. He just kept casting it out and passing it out, and passing it out, until they gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers after everybody was full. See, there's our example. When Jesus meets a need, he always does more. He exceeds the need that he's meeting. He didn't just forgive me for the little sins that's easy to forgive me for. He forgave me for the big sins, the things in my life that were ripping out parts by the roots. He forgave me those as well. He doesn't just do a little, he does a lot. Give each other more honor than you give yourself. Give more than you are getting. Follow Christ's example and go over and above. Give in abundance. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close like brothers and sisters. Give each other more honor than you give yourselves. Honor is respect and love. You make the other person look good. This is hard with our competitive nature, isn't it? Make the other person look good. This means that you resist the urge to talk about them behind their back about their faults. And isn't that really hard when you love somebody? Because the closer you get to somebody... Don't you really know their faults? I mean, husbands in the room, who could make a better list of your faults than your wife? I mean, they could, they, their list could go on for miles. Things that you didn't even know. 
Things that you didn't even know you had wrong, they can tell you about it. The closer you get to somebody, the more you see their faults. And he's saying we honor each other, which means we resist the urge to talk about those faults. And isn't that really hard? I mean, don't we all like to gossip a little bit? And the more you know, the harder it is not to talk about. It's really hard for me to gossip about Brother Luther. I don't know him that well yet. But I'll bet if I get to know him really well, I'll know some stuff I can gossip about. I know my wife. I can tell you all some stuff. <laughs> the more we love somebody and the closer we get, we start finding stuff out. And the more stuff you know, the harder it is sometimes not to tell them. And the closer you are to somebody, the more they can hurt you, right? I mean, have you ever been hurt by somebody that loved you? Or was supposed to love you because they're close enough to really hurt you in a way that the stranger up there in the parking lot of Walmart can't even if they hit you with their car it can't hurt as bad as somebody who loves you can hurt you and when somebody you love has hurt you and you know some stuff about them don't we want to vent don't we want to kind of cry to each other and get people to feel sorry for us and Paul is saying, no, don't do only what is good. And that's not good. Honor each other. Give them more honor than you give yourself. And when you're feeling sorry for yourself, feel sorrier for them. Isn't that hard? But don't we want to be loved the way Paul tells us we're supposed to be loved? Don't we want to love each other the way Paul tells us we're supposed to love each other? It means we got to do it the hard way. There's no shortcut. There's no hack that makes this easier. If we want the great thing to happen, that means we got to put in the hard work to make the great thing happen. Your love must be real. Hate what is evil. Do only what is good. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close, like brothers and sisters, and give each other more honor than you give yourself. If you desire to live as a believer, you are commanded to do this. If you desire to impact the world as a believer, if you want to share the great stuff God has done in your life, then you are commanded to live this way. You can't walk around talking about how great God is while you walk around not loving all of the image bearers of him that you are surrounded with. If you desire to enjoy the benefits of an eternity with Jesus, then you are obligated to, to have real love in your life. You are obligated to hate evil. You are obligated to do only good all the time. You are obligated to love one another in a way that creates family. You are obligated to love one another in a way that includes having hard conversations about sin and faith. You are obligated to respect and love one another more than you respect and love yourself. And is any of that easy to do? It was easy to do. I wouldn't have had to just talk about it for 15, 20, 25 minutes. So if it's not easy to do, how do we do it? We do it together. You cannot do it if you are not plugged into God, and you cannot do it if you're not walking with other believers. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not telling you what that walk with other believers is supposed to look like. In fact, I think it's going to be different for every one of us 
as we go through life together, but we're supposed to be encouraging one another. We're supposed to be lifting one another up and praying for one another. We are supposed to be cheerleaders in each other's life. We are supposed to be close enough to hurt each other, but not hurting, but responding with love in those opportunities to hurt. I'm supposed to get close enough to Brother Luther where I ought to be able to really hurt him bad, but that's not what I'm called to do. I'm supposed to get that close to him so that I can love him and encourage him. And when he sees me coming, he can say, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that guy. Instead of when he sees me coming, he says, oh, i got to get busy. i got to find something to do so that I'm not here when he shows up. We're supposed to make people glad to see us. And we only do that if we all work together. Because then we can hold each other accountable and we can love each other and help each other be those loving people that we are called to be. Will you please join me in prayer? Lord, I hope these simple two verses have been as, as powerful a challenge to somebody in this room as they've been to me this week. A challenge to get better at the way I love. A challenge to get better at the way I look at the people around me. Lord, I pray every week for an opportunity to walk out what we have said here from the platform. And Lord, I pray that we have those opportunities this week. But Lord, a little bit different, I'm going to pray, as, as I have those opportunities this week, Lord, I pray that other people around me see me have those opportunities and hold me accountable to them. Lord, I pray that as we watch each other this week and we see one another have these opportunities to do better. Lord, I pray that we have the courage and the love to gently remind them, hey, let's, let's get a little bit better at that. And then the next day when they come up to us and say, hey, you need to get a little bit better at this too, that we hear that with love. Because Lord, as you told us to do only what is good, you're talking to a bunch of people that really, really struggle with that. Because we don't want to do only what is good. A lot of times we want to do only what is fun. Lord, I pray for all of us this week that we can get better at loving one another, at honoring one another, at treating one another the way you have told us we're supposed to. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are hurting right now and not feeling as loved as they want to feel. Lord, I pray for people this week to just love on them and help them feel that. And then I pray as they do feel love, they are reminded of your love for them and they feel a burden to go and love one another. Lord, I pray all of us in your son's name. Amen.